0: Hi, my name is Elle.
1: And I'm Jared.
0: And you are listening to The New Leaf Project. Thanks so much for tuning in and hanging out with us today. Jared, you've got a great interview that you did that you're sharing with us today. Tell us a little bit about it.
1: Well, first off, it's kind of exciting to be back in the interviewer chair again. It's been a while since I've put together an episode for... The New Leaf Project, and yes. I was really excited about this. We're featuring a, a new organization that the New Leaf Network. What we uh, we we're forming a new partnership with this group called Servant Partners. And uh, they are up to some really exciting things in towns and neighborhoods um, all over the world. Uh, and this is just starting out in Canada. So I want to encourage you, just at the outset of this episode, if, if there's something about this that sounds interesting to you and you're looking for a group to get involved with, uh, we, we don't know everything about this, this group. We're just at the beginning stages. But the people we've met have just been tremendous. And so Caitlin is new to Saskatoon in the sense of uh, she's not native to, to, to the city, uh, but she fell in love while she was going to school here. The thing I want you to pay attention to is just the way, the subtle and quiet and gentle way that she moves into the neighborhood, the way that she listens, the way that she sees and the way that, that she takes her time. That is super important, friends. A lot of times when we go to a neighborhood, we're putting onto it our vision, our ideas. And that's how we become colonizers of a place. And Caitlin has learned a brand new way. Well, it's not a brand new way. Lots of people do it this way. But uh, I just think that's such a she describes it in such clarity and beauty. So give that a listen. Listen to how she makes sense of the world around her. All right, so let's give this one a listen, and uh, we'll catch you on the flip side. Hello, everybody. I'm Jared Siebert, and I am here with Caitlin Sigelko. How did I do on the last You got it. I got it. I got it. You have have a weird job, a (laughs) weird job title, uh, and a lot of people ask you about it. So let's just start there. What is your weird job?
2: So my weird job is that I get to love my neighbors. That's weird. That's weird. And it's weird that that gets through my job. Uh, sometimes I call myself a neighborhood chaplain, uh, a pastor who who lives with my neighbors and provides care and grows community in that way. Uh, my job is also community organizing and seeing what God is up to in our communities.
1: So you would be like a pastor that doesn't have a church. That's right. Yes. But you have a neighborhood.
2: I have a neighborhood that I view as the church because it's where God's people okay are
1: okay and you're doing that work here in the city of Saskatoon so tell me how did you wind up in Saskatoon because not if you've looked outside lately not a lot of people wind (laughs) up in Saskatoon but a few very proud very good people wind up here so how did you wind up here in uh, Saskatoon
2: yeah Saskatoon is the city that I love and I was born in Saskatoon. I, I didn't grow up in Saskatoon but it's the city that I could never really leave. So I found myself back here as a university student and it was in those years that I really began to love Saskatoon. I, I was a social work student and was learning about the reality of our community and realized that my, my life as a student on uh, one part of the city, on the east side, is, is only a small glimpse of what the whole story of the city is. And the east side of Saskatoon actually experiences a lot more affluence, uh, higher education, uh, more wealth than the west side of the city where wealth is... Uh, where, where poverty is actually concentrated.
1: So for those uh, uh, who don't know much about the geography of Saskatoon, they can be forgiven for that, for not knowing, <laughs> but uh, our city is divided down the middle by a river.
2: Yeah, that's and,
1: right. And so the east side, how would you describe the east side?
2: Yeah, so the east side is, I think it's influenced a lot by the university being there. So the east side is where there's a lot more education, more professionals, it's a more affluent, wealthy community.
1: And then the West Side?
2: The West Side is very ethnically diverse, and also people disproportionately experience poverty in the West Side.
1: So you're going to school on the East, on the side, east side. And, uh, and, and you're a Christian and you're, you're, you're thinking through your social work degree and what do I believe about this stuff? And you, you fell in love with Saskatoon. So tell me what happened, what happened next? Cause you didn't just, you didn't stay.
2: And then I didn't stay here. The city you loved in <laughs>
1: you didn't even stay in it. So you, where, where did you go next?
2: So after graduating from my social work degree, I was confronted with questions of how do I love this city? Well, and Jeremiah 29, seven, God speaks to his people and says, seek the well-being of the city into which I have sent you and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its well-being, you will find your well-being also. And so I was very compelled by this idea of seeking the well-being of the whole city, realizing that God's heart for the poor and the oppressed would mean and how God's movement always starts on the margins of society would mean that that movement would have to mean me being relocated into the margins of the city from the east side to the west side. However, in order to do that, I didn't want to do that alone and I didn't really know how to do that well. So I heard about a group called Servant Partners who was doing this work and has been doing this work for nearly 30 years internationally where they move into communities that experience poverty and pursue the well-being of the community alongside neighbors there. So it's grassroots community transformation. So work. you
1: move from here to Vancouver to, to be a part of Servant Partners. And That's right. uh, uh, if I understand correctly, Vancouver is the first place uh, in Canada where Servant Partners serve. So, there's probably a lot of our listeners that never heard of Servant Partners. Right. So can you tell me a little bit about that organization, where they came from, and, and what they what they do?
2: Yeah, so Servant Partners started about 30 years ago in Los Angeles from a group of students who learned about God's heart for the poor and the oppressed as students, and after graduating thought, what does it mean to put feet to this theology? And so they moved into a, a neighborhood in Los Angeles that experienced poverty, and through meeting their neighbours, started church planting there. And that that movement grew into an international movement where now there's servant partners sites that are scattered around the world. And only seven or eight years ago did a site start in Canada, in mm-hmm. Vancouver. So five years ago, I moved to Vancouver to join that site as an intern, to go in to learn about the work of servant partners and to see, is this a good fit for me? And at that point still questioning is this a good fit for Saskatoon.
1: So you 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 learn in Vancouver and and you did work in the downtown east side and again if you're not from Vancouver you you might not know the downtown east side it is a, it is a very challenging place in Vancouver. In fact, it would probably one of the most challenging places in the whole country. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh in, in terms of, of fighting poverty and, and dealing mm-hmm. with people who are under resourced. So you move from that location and you come back to Saskatoon, the city that you love. You're listening L, she loves this city. <laughs> and uh lots of people love this city. And and you start here um uh about a year ago. Um so tell me a little bit about some of the things so you learn in Vancouver and you come to Saskatoon to practice. So what were some of the first things you did?
2: So when I, when I came to Saskatoon, I'd already learned from my time in Vancouver how important it is to enter as a learner, especially as... Now your listeners can't see this, but I am a white woman. I'm a woman who's educated. I'm a middle-class woman. And so I come with a certain amount of privilege. And so to come into communities that experience poverty... And to say, I'm here to transform this community, that actually can sound a lot like colonialism and it can look a lot like the pain that our nation has already experienced. That is not God's heart, nor is that my heart. And so to come in as a learner means to come and believe that God is already at work in the community before I arrived, before my team arrived. And my job is to come and to pay attention to what God is doing and to see signs that transformation is happening, that there are people of high capacity and potential already living in this neighborhood and I get to come alongside and learn from them and submit to the knowledge of the community. What the community needs for transformation is not me. They already have what they need, but can I come alongside and partner with them in what they need? So my primary objective when I came here was to come and learn from my neighbors.
1: So that's a, that's a very powerful posture because there are some things that go missing for you. If you don't come as a learner, you come as a savior or Mm -hmm. a colonizer or whatever. There are things that will be invisible to you, uh, as, as one of those people, if that's your posture, that's, that is, uh, um, uh, if you, if you adopt the posture of a learner, there's more of the neighborhood accessible to you so tell me a little bit about the hot dog strategy because that's a strange uh strategy for a vegetarian to practice in a neighborhood so tell me about uh hot dogs and how that relates to to, to your to your work
2: yeah and to clarify i'm actually not a vegetarian oh you're not okay and okay and part of it is because it would be very hard in the community building work um, that I'm about to explain how I do this. So, so in this, I moved here in the summer, which is a great time in Saskatoon, just to put another plug in for Saskatoon. Yes,
1: Saskatoon in the summer. There's nothing
2: like it, folks. That's right. So there's a lot that happens in the summer because we're all, we're all very restless from the winter. Yeah. And all can't of wait our, to get outside. Can't wait to get outside. Can't wait to be social after being isolated for six months of the year. And so my, my strategy was to show up where the community shows up and to learn to care about the things that the community cares about. And what that meant was attending a lot of community barbecues and eating Uh, a lot of hot dogs with neighbors. And that allowed me to um, come in not from the approach of, I'm doing something, will you come to it? But come in with the approach of, you're doing something, tell me what you like about this, tell me what you want to see more. Tell me what you love about this neighborhood, and we can have those conversations side by side
1: so that's that uh, connects to something that that uh, servant partners teaches is this idea of uh, a good way to start is to not start that's right uh, so can you explain a little bit more about what that means to start by not starting
2: Yeah so this was a, a discipline that I was encouraged in for the first year that I have been in Saskatoon is to come and to not start anything. And for the listeners of your podcast who are starters and innovators, this is just cringeworthy for us. We want to come in, we have ideas and we want to see them implemented. But my discipline has been to wait and to not start so that I can submit to the wisdom of the community and see what is already happening. It's, It's a kind of safety check against recreating the wheel if something already is happening in the community, how can I support that rather than having to start it all over again? And ultimately, uh, my focus is on leadership empowerment in the community. So to see my neighbors starting something is my ultimate hope. And that just takes more time for me to meet those neighbors, build relational t- trust, and to see my neighbors pursue the things that they Long for and that they 're capable of,
1: so something else that uh, you you've mentioned is is the idea of starting small there's also another kind of principle that you bring to the to the starting uh, of something new. so tell us a little bit about what starting small uh, means and and how you live that out
2: yeah, so as i've started to pay attention to what my neighbors long for in the community. I do see my role now as connecting and catalyzing. So there's some permission for starting again, but the the start isn't launching a big program and the the one of the hardest months for me was September because I came out of hot dog season. We had lots of fun and everyone was kind of in this like chill, let's just hang out mode. But then September started and everyone goes into program mode. So schools are starting all of their programs. Churches are starting all their programs. And I was still in the discipline and practice of showing up, meeting my neighbors, and paying attention to what is happening. And and that just graded against me, feeling like I should have something to show for my presence here. Why haven't I started a program yet? And and that's the, the work that I'm about, is uh, relationships over programs, knowing that Programs will succeed for about two years and maybe have a heyday. And then the next thing starts and and that becomes where momentum is. But the thing that lasts beyond programs is relationship. Yeah, the, that that is where I want to be investing is in relationship.
1: So one of the things I found fascinating about you, and I, I, I notice this about innovators, is that they're, when we're... Uh, looking to translate the gospel into a new context or into a new place. There's a poetry Hmm. that's required, a a prophetic imagination, a creativity that's required. Hmm. And uh, I love the way you process uh, that particular aspect of, of starting small. You actually, you have a poem about how you've processed that. Could you, uh, could you read that to us?
2: Yeah, sure. So I wrote this at Christmas time when I was, about six months in, and was reflecting on my presence in the neighborhood. A tiny spark, a bit of yeast, a mustard seed. These small offerings are the way of our God. I yearn for big dreams and strive for impressive vision, and yet I find myself asking each day when I rise, God, what am I supposed to be faithful to today? Turns out it's the small things listening to a neighbor, drinking innumerable cups of church coffee, walking through streets that grow familiar, adorned by flowers, then dry leaves, now snow and ice. How completely ordinary, unremarkable, sort of like our king born a child, sort of like our God of humble beginnings.
1: Wow, that's brilliant. I love that. So you, you come in with a great posture, a, um, a a listening posture an observer's posture. Um, you mentioned submitting to the wisdom of the neighborhood. I love that term. Um, tell me you land in Saskatoon, the city you love Elle, did you hear that? The city she loves. And, um, uh, uh, tell me a little bit about some of the stuff that you observe about the city of Saskatoon.
2: Saskatoon is a great place. And like any place too, there's there's a story of hardship and suffering also here. Mm -hmm. And both exist in the neighborhood that I've come to love. So the neighborhood that I live in experiences a a lot of ethnic diversity, which is a beautiful thing. And the hard thing about that is there's also a lot of racial segregation. Mm -hmm. And that is part of the narrative of Saskatoon as a whole. So we talked about the East and the West divide. Another thing about that divide is that the East is predominantly white and the West is predominantly diverse, with a high Indigenous population, mostly populated on the on the west side.
1: It's actually one of Canada's largest off-reserve urban, uh, indigenous. urban indigenous populations. Yeah, it's it's a it's a big factor uh, in the in the city for mm-hmm. sure. So, so what are some of the uh, observations you you mention uh, uh, fear and, and things like that? Tell us a little bit about
2: that. So because of the diversity in our in our community and I think this is just true for humans that we tend to be want to be with people who are like us and we tend to want to protect that and when there is difference we fear that. And that is true in my community and has been that narrative of fearing the other has been unfortunately promoted in the community. So I was talking to a friend of mine who's came as a newcomer to Canada as a refugee when he was a teenager, and he still remembers vividly his first impression of moving into my neighbourhood. He, His family was picked up from the airport when they first arrived in Canada, driven in a taxi to the apartment where they were temporarily staying. And in that taxi ride, they were taught by the driver about the Indigenous people of Canada, and they were taught that this is a population that they should stay away from, that they should fear, that they... Um, are a dangerous group of people that they should not associate with but here this family is moving into a neighborhood with a lot of indigenous neighbors and a lot of neighbors from other countries across the world and so they're taught from day one to be separate from their neighbors and to fear their neighbors and that story is perpetuated in so many ways so and part of my professional mingling that I do in the community and asking people about their experiences of living here I often ask what do you like about the community and when people learn that I that I live in the community they say oh no you shouldn't live here and if you do it's best to not talk to anyone keep to yourself and then you'll be okay just keep your head down and you'll survive and I hear that and I am deeply saddened by that because that is not freedom nor is that the the Kingdom of God that we're taught to yearn for, uh, where we are all contributing and receiving from one another, this experience of isolation and fear of the other, I think is a huge sadness in our community and something that I would love to to see change
1: so that observation is actually foundational to a lot of the things that you're doing right now mm-hmm. in response, so talk to us about a couple of the the things that that you do uh with with people in your neighborhood now um uh one of them is a, is a is a is a prayer walk tell me a little bit about that prayer walk that you do
2: yeah so that was something that i actually did start early on in my time here as a way of observing what god is doing in the community so i invited as i got to meet people who are people of prayer i invited them to come together uh and we represent a few different communities in the west side and we represent a few different churches and together we pray on Saturday mornings, walking through the community or when it was cold, holding, holding vigil indoors on behalf <laughs> of our community and longing to see God's kingdom come in fresh, fresh ways here, but also sharing stories about where we're experiencing God's kingdom already. So the prayer part, I understand.
1: Why do you guys walk around when you pray? I mean, I understand why you don't walk around in the winter, <laughs> Uh, because the air hurts your skin, but um, but tell me what what difference does it make that you walk when you pray? What, mm-hmm. What's happening?
2: I love that question. I I think what happens is when we we're taught as children to pray with our eyes closed, and that helps like focus, and and I think that does actually help with intimacy with our Creator. But when we pray with our eyes open, there's intimacy with our surroundings, and we start to see and observe creation around us and we believe that these are good gifts from from God for us and it also teaches us what God is up to and so we might um, early on actually before I moved to Saskatoon I was on one of these prayer walks as I was visiting and doing some community assessment with a group from Vancouver who came with me and we were prayer walking through the community and ended up at a at a garden plot and it would have been about this time of year so this is planting season in Saskatoon right now. And there was a family out there preparing their soil and tilling their soil. And so we actually as people of prayer uh got to talk with them and they invited us to come and help them till their soil. So so our prayers are starting to um we're putting hands and feet to our prayer as we're Preparing the soil of the land, and meanwhile we we meet back at the church, and another group was kind of sharing about their impressions of what they were praying for, and they felt like God was giving them the words that the soil is ready in this neighborhood, and we're like, no way, we were just literally preparing the soil in this neighborhood, um, and and that's been a gift to reflect on because that community garden now is right across the street from from where I live, and it's really fun to imagine that. Um, I've got to step into the soil that has been being prepared for us and start to plant things here.
1: So um, you also work uh, uh, doing community meals and potlucks and things like that. Mm -hmm. Tell me about how that arose and how, how that got started.
2: Yeah, so again, that just got started from getting to know some of my neighbors. I currently live in an apartment building. That's a really great strategy to starting anything because especially in the winter, this sense of community still happens in the stairwells and the mailbox and these shared spaces in, in apartments. And so I have gotten to know a lot of my neighbors and have built trust as we've shared stories together. And so recently my roommates and I have started to take the trust that we've built with neighbors and extend that to other neighbors. And so we're inviting people together uh, we've chosen Saturday nights because a lot of my neighbors work during the week and so Saturdays is a free day so we come together people bring bring what they can and, sh- and share food together and my hope for those spaces is that it's places where as we share food and hear stories from each other that are narratives and assumptions about each other will actually start to change But it started very simply with first having one family over for a meal and getting to know them, and then another day having another family over, and then inviting them over at the same time. Maybe telling them that, maybe not, (laughs) (laughs) but whoops, now you've met each other, and I'm starting to see friendships grow from that space. That's
1: brilliant. Tell me, uh, uh, you had a house full of moms in your apartment today, so tell me about that. What's, what's, What's going on with that?
2: Yeah, so... So the Moms Group is actually something that I, that I started alongside another organization that's in our community, and they do some youth and kids programs. And so in the winter, we started this Moms Program, noting the isolation that moms uh, experience, and, and a lot of those moms are from my apartment building, and it's, it's hard for moms to... To get out, uh, to get their kids ready, and I'm I'm not a mom myself. I often care for others' children, for others' children's, and uh, and I realized the other day as I was taking some kids to the park, it took us just as long to find socks for everyone as it did to like play <laughs> at the park. So it is a lot of work to get out the yeah. door. And so I can see where the isolation of it's easier to just stay inside, but. That's a That can be a lonely place as a sole adult in a room full of children. And so we invite moms to come together one morning and we share coffee and snacks and the kids can play together and we just have a time to visit and connect. And often that's led to times of prayer together. Also, as we start to share some of the deeper parts of life together. And so recently that moved into my apartment, noting that it's just one step easier for moms to come uh, when they're already living in the same apartment building um, to come and gather without having to put socks on their kids. So hold on a
1: second. Did you have like a 7,000 square foot apartment? (laughs) No, this is it's, a church?
2: Ti- it's a very tiny little, it is a three bedroom apartment, which is nice, but our living shared space is pretty small. And
1: that's interesting because I think a lot of people think they need a big place or they would, might need a house or they might need, need, need the, all these fancy things to get started. But that's not, that's not been the case for you.
2: Right. And I actually value something I call living in a familiar way. So living in a way that's familiar to my neighbors, because ultimately I want to see my neighbors starting and creating the same sorts of hubs for community. And if I can if I can do it in my place, but my apartment is a cookie-cutter reflection of what their place looks like, then why can't they do it there? So I think it's easy to dismiss like, oh, I can't do this because I don't have resources, I don't have grants, I don't have space. So if we all start small together it's that much easier to to replicate in different people's situations. Oh,
1: that's that's brilliant. So you also uh, have come alongside of AIDS Saskatoon, and you're working sort of as a connector between uh, church communities and the work of AIDS Saskatoon. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: Yeah, so this is another important population in our community. Saskatoon has the highest HIV rates in Canada, and that's due to injection drug use and the drug use rates are concentrated in the neighborhood that I live in. What Aid Saskatoon, a, a, a local nonprofit, is doing is opening a, a safe injection site or a safe consumption site and it's the first one in Saskatchewan. It's pretty common now across the country to have safe injection sites. Many cities are adopting this model uh, but in Saskatchewan it's still a new thing and so through meeting with some of the leaders at aid Saskatoon, I have come alongside some of the churches in the community as a way to introduce this concept of um, restoring dignity and believing in the, the worth and value of all humans, including drug users, and inviting the church to come alongside and, and support this in our city.
1: So this is a, this is a pretty challenging topic, mm-hmm. um, uh, and, and probably we should have you on the podcast some other time to just talk about this because i think uh many of the christian anti-poverty activists that i meet people who are involved in in helping people combat addictions safe injection sites are are a key strategy so tell me like as a christian how did you uh what, very briefly without, yeah. <laughs> without stealing the thunder of the next podcast that we do together um <laughs> How did you move? Uh, how did you get to that that space, and, and and was that easy for you?
2: Yeah, I was just re- remembering that the first paper that I wrote as a social work student, I'm quite sure was it was on the topic of addictions and was against safe injection sites. Okay. So this has been a journey for me, and what changed my journey was living in downtown Eastside and meeting a lot of people who in in Vancouver in Vancouver, and and that's a a neighbor that neighborhood that's notorious for addictions and drug use. Um, and it's known as the poorest postal code in Canada. So a lot of people's lives are affected by drug use. And what I learned there is that there is a, a safe injection site in the community. And the effect that that has had in the community has meant that there are fewer people dying. That's the bottom line, is a safe injection site prevents overdose deaths. It's, it's not the answer for re- for recovery, but it's the thing that gives people one more day to choose recovery. And I think it is a pretty ultimate example of, of compassion. And is for that reason, I'm convinced that it is close to God's heart to see his people living one more day, to experience love, to encounter a neighbor, to encounter a new sense of hope. And so the hope of safe injection sites is just to keep people alive.
1: And that's that's something you're connecting in with in in Saskatoon, and it's something new. You're helping the churches kind of m- m- understand a bit better what what the the strategy is there.
2: Yeah, yeah. I I, I hope to see that. So uh, this week there was a group of uh, a council of inner city churches that gathered, and we heard a presentation from from the aid Saskatoon, and could ask questions about what this would mean for our community and how our churches in the neighborhood can come alongside and and support this happening as another way of engaging with the well-being of our neighborhood
1: that's brilliant so uh you went to when you were in vancouver there were a lot of things that you learned Mm -hmm. and uh um when you came to to saskatoon tell me uh, a couple of stories uh, maybe about some things that you learned in vancouver that were confirmed here like this is a good idea and then maybe a thing or two that that maybe you didn't learn in Vancouver. Vancouver, but you brought into the neighborhood that got challenged once you were on the ground. So let's talk first about about some of the confirmation stories. What what were some things that they taught you, or that you had learned that when you practiced it, it, it actually worked?
2: Yeah, and I think that's where what we've talked about already—the entrance posture of coming in as a as a learner—has been really powerful in my work in Vancouver and now also in my work in Saskatoon as I start to see trust built with neighbours um, across ethnic and and uh, income levels. And yeah, so starting as a learner and coming and connecting people in that way has been um, hugely confirmed. But also when I've started as a learner, I, I ch- it challenged some of the assumptions I came into the community with and I th- I think I came back to Saskatoon thinking, from my experience previously in Saskatoon, there is no one doing work like this. Reconciliation is is very far behind in Saskatoon, and um, I get to go and start something new there. And actually what I was confronted with as I came in to learn from the community is, oh, there is already a lot that has changed in the four years that since I've been away, And a lot that has been happening and God has been doing work in this community and people have been coming alongside God's vision for reconciliation in this community. And so that was that was humbling for me to realize, oh, I'm not I'm not the only one who's about this, Um, but to still hold hope that I can be part. God is inviting me to come alongside and be partner with his mission of reconciliation in this community and um, early on, when I was in the in the summer, going to a lot of community events, is when I noticed there was a lot more talk of reconciliation and a lot more honor given to Indigenous leaders in our neighborhood. And I was really excited to see to see that. And there, there's actually a story of uh, when I f- when I first came. There was a, a a teepee set up in a park that was a block away from the house I was living at at that time. So I went to ask, well, what is, what is this TP setting up for? And they were setting up this healing camp, they said, and it was for survivors of the foster care system, and particularly one man whose, whose child died while his child was in foster care. And he was grieving and healing from that, but invited other people to be part of the healing with him. And so every night they had a sharing circle, and they had a fire and, and community space where people could come and share their stories and I was really struck by there was one young man who was always there. And, and when when you set up a healing camp like this, there's there's a role of of a helper. And and this young man was invited to play the role of the helper. So he's kind of the host of the camp, welcoming people, um, running to help carry flats of water and equipment for the barbecue. And as he shared his story around the foster care around the circle, uh, he. He's sixteen, I think, and he was just the week before in in a juvenile detention center and And yet the man who was facilitating the healing camp, he saw potential in this young indigenous man and invited him into a role and into a place that said, "You can actually be part of the healing of your community and so I love the model that that spoke of def- despite which background we're coming from, there's room for people to come and to contribute and and to lead our communities towards healing that's
1: uh, that's so beautiful i i think it is a canadian disease to look at our country and think to ourselves nothing's happening because that is just It's easy to think that way because we're separated and we're distant, Mm -hmm. uh, and, and, and we're, we're deeply divided, but to come in and see that things are already happening Mm -hmm. and those are things you can partner with. I think it's a, it's a very powerful way. I I love these postures you're talking about. I love, I love this story. Um, you have a, a poem that, uh, has been, uh, sustaining you, uh, in your work and, and kind of, uh focusing it. So can you uh, just briefly tell us a little bit about it and then and then I think it would be a good place to end just with those words.
2: Yeah. So this is a poem by, by Victoria Stafford and I find it very helpful on on days where I am feeling discouraged about what is my role in the community and where are there signs that things will get better? And her words are about our our primary job is to be people of hope to be reminding people that there is hope. And that is what we have as followers of Jesus. That is what we have to cling to. And that is what we offer our neighborhoods wherever wherever we are. So this is called the Gates of Hope. Our mission is to plant ourselves at the Gates of Hope. Not the prudent Gates of Optimism, which are somewhat narrower. Not the stalwart, boring Gates of Common Sense, nor the strident gates of self righteousness, which creak on shrill and angry hinges, nor the cheerful, flimsy garden gate of everything is gonna be all right, but a different, sometimes lonely place, the place of truth telling about your own soul first and its condition, the place of resistance and defiance, the piece of ground from which you see the world, both as it is. And as it could be, as it will be. The place from which you glimpse not only struggle, but the joy of the struggle. And we stand there beckoning and calling, telling people what we are seeing and asking people what they see. Wow.
1: Well, Caitlin, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for sharing, uh, not just your story, but your poetry. I think you're one of the first people that shared uh, uh, poems on podcast. the podcast. <laughs> I love it. I think it's brilliant. And I, I'm so excited. So uh, we'll have you on the show again to talk a little bit more about safe injection sites and All your right. journey there. Because I, I, I think it's an interesting topic. And I think it's, it's important for us to do some thinking about. Um, but also, just thanks for sharing the story of a starter. someone who just shows up, loves the neighborhood, and, and finds their way.
2: Mm-hmm. Thanks
1: for being on the show. Well,
2: thank you so much for having me. I've been a fan of these podcasts for a long time and it's fun to be on, on this side of the mic.
1: Thank you. <laughs> all right. Take care.
0: That was an interview brought to you by our own Mr. Siebert and Caitlin, who lives and loves in Saskatoon of all places. Yes,
1: she does. She's, uh, she's, looking at, I think she's about to celebrate her one year anniversary of being here. Now, here's something weird that happened. After I do this interview with her, um, after she comes to our, our, um, learning party in the fall, she was, she was there, we were doing a thing called, uh, women, men, church, about thriving in a Me Too world. She was there. She was brilliant. I loved getting to know her. New face uh, in 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 the Saskatoon scene. Very interesting person. And uh, she comes to the design shop, okay? We had one at Horizon here in town, and that's where we, we, we do an event where we help planters and sort of replanters and urban missionaries kind of make sense of what they're there to do and and live in a thoughtfully adaptive way in context so she's at the design shop we're doing this thing called a neighborhood exegesis walk where you go walk around a neighborhood and you let the neighborhood speak to you caitlin talks about so i was showing off uh to my friends there this place that i volunteer at it's called the core neighborhood youth bike co-op i love bicycles if you know me you know that i love bicycles and uh i've I'm not a qualified bicycle mechanic, but I have worked on so many bikes in my life that I can, I can do a lot of the jobs. So I started volunteering there, um, in in, a pretty regular basis last summer. And about 15 minutes into that walk, I realized that I know Caitlin through coming to the bike co-op one Saturday. Uh, She was standing in the line and she was new to town and, uh, Uh, I didn't help build her bike, although that would have been a better story, but, um, she came and was a part of it. And what is so cool was, um, the way she was, she, even in that situation, she was a memorable person. She, she seemed like a very, like very interested in what we were doing in the neighborhood. And, uh, she and I didn't know we had all of these things in common in that brief little interaction, but. Um, she has been so consistent and so patient and, uh, I just love her attitude and her posture. And I think those are key things, uh, for us as we move into our neighborhoods, as we explore, uh, where God is leading us, as we follow the spirit spirit into our neighborhoods. She is really good at being a host and a guest. Uh, and I just love this story. Uh, I think there's a lot of great things that you can learn from from her example. Elle, did you get any takeaways from?
0: I did. I, I, very similar to what you said. She <laughs> she talked about it in the interview of people who want to just come into a neighborhood and start. And I mean, obviously, since that's one of our catchphrases or a really a value that we live <laughs> into with New Leaf is to just start. It was a good um, reminder that when she's obviously, yes, take steps toward doing it, but slow down. So I think it was for a year, she said, she just Mm -hmm. listened or Mm -hmm. just sort of spent time um, understanding what was going on in the neighborhood and listening and getting to know people. And I think that is just so wise because people who are inclined to start things, sometimes we just jump right in with both feet and think that we have... All the ideas. Mm -hmm. And uh, I loved that. And I loved her talking about hosting people in her house, even though she feels like her house is small. It's not big. It's this, you know, it's a smaller apartment, but whatever, the doors are open. And I think oftentimes when we're talking about hospitality, I feel the same way. Like, I wish my house was bigger and my living room and kitchen were bigger so I could host more people. And it's like... No, it's all right. Just to pack it in with what Absolutely. you've got.
1: Absolutely. If you've got
0: something, you can start with that. So I liked that little corrective that she brought up in her story. I think it was a, a mom's group that they help host in her, That's right. in her living room that she was talking about. So I loved her. She very seemed very wise. I would love to, when I come to Saskatoon next, have coffee with her. I, I enjoyed it a lot. Well, Al,
1: if people want to stay tuned to the New Leaf story or stories like this, how do they stay connected to what we're doing?
0: Newleafnetwork.ca. Check us out there. Lots of information on our blog. Lots of information about upcoming events. We will be in many places in the next year and we would love to see you. So keep, keep up with us. Show up. Uh, be present. Let us know where you'd like us to come. We would love to connect with you. Um, and also social media. We are there as well, and sign up for our e-newsletter we're working title Um, (laughs) essentially we send out an email every few months to let you know what's on the docket and how you can connect in with us and what we've got going whether that's our discernment process for church planters and starters or our design shop for planters and starters all of our training opportunities but also some of the events and learning parties so we have lots of information and we want you to get it so that's a great way to keep up with us as well.
1: All right, friends thanks for tuning in and we'll see you soon. Bye bye.
0: See you friends.